Hey guys, it's Liz. What's going on, guys? It's Dad. And this is Polos and Khakis 2.0. We are back. We have our very first guest for our uh, second edition here. Uh, we're more than excited to kick uh, kick it off, Mr. Audric Warren. Thanks for joining us. Dan, do you want to tell us a little bit about Audric? Yes, yeah, so Audric Warren. Uh, he earned his bachelor's in athletic training from the Defiance College. He then went and got, or he also got a BS in wellness and corporate fitness from, again, Defiance College. He then went and got his master's of rehabilitation from Cal University of Pennsylvania. Shout out, Pennsylvania. And then he kind of <laughs> went all over the map. He was at Purdue University Calumet, uh, South Suburban College, Flexion Rehabilitation, the Gary Splash, the Gary South Shore Railcats, the Chi-Town Shooters, and Indiana University Northwest. And then he currently is the owner of Effort, Performance, and Rehabilitation in Dyer, Indiana. So a little bit all over the place, tons of experience, and we're uh, looking forward to speak to him. Awesome. I have an initial question. That's a dumb question, but I've never heard of the Defiance College in my life. Where is that? <laughs> I believe it's in Ohio, no, it's, right? It's in Defiance, Ohio. Oh, okay, okay, okay. It's a little small in the middle of nowhere that again you would never hear of it unless you knew someone that went there well we're, we're <laughs> glad we have the uh what a defiance college alumnus so people can learn about the school itself yeah we're spreading the word spreading the gospel about defiance absolutely <laughs> so it's a really nice quaint town you know you can listen if you blink twice but you know it's a really nice, what, uh, nice little what's like the closest big city to it you know, I, uh, I would say it's kind of near almost everything. Like, it's anywhere between, like, 30 to 45 minutes from, like, Bowling Green, Toledo, and Lima, you know, any of those places. I know the first two, not, not the, the third one. <laughs> I want to say it's even probably, like, 45 minutes to an hour from, like, Fort Wayne, like, right over the border in Indiana. Um, mm. Yeah, it's <laughs> like, like it's literally, like, smack dab in the middle of kind of nowhere. How did you end up in the middle of nowhere? Are you from that area? No, you know, um, I was looking for some place to play football, you know, for the most part. And um, not even going to lie, I was kind of a terrible student in high school. I did not apply myself <laughs> whatsoever. So it made it a little bit difficult to kind of find schools to play for. And um, I went and visited Defiance, you know, on a official football recruiting visit and yeah it it just seemed to click for the most part you know the small town you know small town atmosphere everyone was very friendly and yeah it, it just seemed like the right place to be for me nothing wrong with that I went to a small school myself and you know that close-knit kind of family kind of vibe was something that I was looking for as well so um, I'm sure our college towns are very similar uh, when you when you compare the two. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that small town, I mean, it's just like I said, that small town knit, tight knit family kind of thing. Uh, I think it was just perfect for me and what I needed as far as moving me on to the next place and keeping me in an environment to be successful. You like what you like. It's all that matters. We're all different. Absolutely. So we'll jump into it. Uh, kind of 
I kind of started the the show off like this. You've been kind of all over the place with in terms of uh, settings and different job titles. So when you first started your career, did you kind of have a goal in mind, or did you just want to kind of get as much experience as possible? You know, kind of bounce around and see what you like. Um. <laughs> well, that's a two part answer. First started, I was trying to get a job. If we're going to be hundred percent honest, um, I was part of that that initial class that went from you know the three section part to all computerized. So like I was the first class to have to do that, and I was struggling to pass the exam. Like to be point blank honest, I just it just wasn't working for me. <laughs> and when I finally did pass. I was, I was seriously like, all right, I just need to get a job. Like I was one fail away from not even being an athletic trainer. Honestly, if I hadn't passed on the last time I was, I was going to go back to school. Hmm. So initially, um, it, it was one of those things I just needed a job. And once I finally had it, it, um, I was like, okay. I think the next thing that I want to do is get to the professional setting, no matter what it looked like, whether it was minor league, major league, uh, or whatever. Um, and even then I actually was telling one of my athletes this story not too long ago. Um, it actually worked out in my favor that I did fail my exam the first two times. Um, I would honestly don't think I would have effort right now if I hadn't. So when I first, you know, Accepted the position. I had just taken my exam. I was waiting for my results. Um, I was working, going to work for a PT company that contracted me out to a high school. And this high school in particular, they were losing the contract to. But they didn't tell me that. <laughs> so when I didn't pass the first time, um, they had to pull me from high school so that I could go back to the clinic. That way I was still supervised by somebody that was certified you know, et cetera, et cetera. And they brought someone else in to, you know, be in my position. So this person came in and again, unbeknownst to either of us, they were going to lose that contract. So this person came in and wound up oh, getting no. fired. Um, yeah. And, you know, it, you know, things work in mysterious ways. You know, this person and I, we stayed in contact. We were, you know, colleagues and you know she actually started working at my former high school and you know, I took the exam the second time and they honestly still didn't have a place for me to be so I didn't pass obviously so I wound up being in the clinic um which again I'm very grateful for because you know I got a lot of hands-on experience um I learned more a little bit about the rehab side of things a lot of what not to do honestly more so than what to do um and then they got a contract for a college in the area and this college in particular they were you know they were making big plans to go d2 because they were a small school at the time naia and they just wanted me to stand in well i finally passed so now I wasn't standing. They kind of had to keep me there. <laughs> um, so right off the bat, you know, now I'm in this college, you know, experience, getting a lot of good experience because I kid you not, it was a hot mess at this school. And I mean that in the sense of injuries. 
Mm. I kid you not, every two weeks, like like clockwork, there were like major injuries. Like there's probably four ACLs that year. I had a catastrophic knee blowout. Um, like I had tons and tons of rehab experience just because of that. Um, and to continue the story further, what I mean by I was also blessed by that. So as it turns out, working for this PT company, they were doing a lot of shady stuff. You know, first with my contract, they kind of trapped me in it, so to speak. Um, and instead of making, you know, the crappy $32,000, you know, fresh out of school, dude was like, actually, you're going to make about eight to $10,000 less. And it was a whole lot of shady under dealings and things along those lines that I was just really turned off by the company, obviously. Yeah. And one day that same person that got fired from the company called me and said, Hey, this new company I'm working with is looking for someone to do minor league hockey and minor league baseball. And I called you first. And I kickstarted everything, you know, when with working in minor league sports, you know, tons of experience, tons of exposure. I'm second year out of school at that point and I'm already in, I already hit my goal. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, like I said, I was very blessed and very fortunate that things fell apart in order to fall in place. Yeah, I think that's what I've kind of learned, especially over the pandemic, is that, you know, it's not really going to work out in your favor right away, but it just kind of finds a way to make everything work. And it just kind of, it finds a way to, you get to the point where, you know, you're in the right place, you're where, you're, you're where you need to be, and, you know, you just kind of go about your business. So I kind of get what you're saying there. Absolutely. I'm, I'm a big believer in, A, rejection is sometimes just redirection, the universe is always conspiring like in your favor <laughs> you just kind of got to go for it mm -hmm. my life philosophy is similar but also a, a little different that you, you get back what you put out into the universe so even when you get dealt those kind of shitty hands as long as you're just putting good things back out there eventually it'll come back around your way <laughs> absolutely i 100 percent believe that one Okay. Our first episode back, we're dropping great nuggets already. So, <laughs> look, <laughs> that's what we're here for. That's true. Absolutely. Gotta start off with a bang, right? Exactly. So, Aldrich, I have several questions about your business. So, you own Effort Performance and Rehabilitation. Um, yes. Can you tell us a little bit about how you decided to start your business? Um. You know, very similar um, to kind of how I started it. I I was working for um, a hospital setting, um, and I just uh, they treated athletic trainers. Not only how they treated athletic trainers, but also how they treated their their patients, their clients. You know, those kinds of things. And uh, we would have meetings. You know, one of our directors, like, would just, like, basically take a big dump on us, like, in these meetings, you know, 
basically that we have to refer to, you know, the therapists because, you know, they know how to do more than just ice people. Like, that's a quote. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, we, we love when we hear that. Yeah. Um, so you had, you had that. Then you had, you know, there was just a whole lot of misunderstandings because there were only two of us at the college setting. And the other athletic trainer at the time did no rehab, didn't have clinic hours, you know, things on those lines. So when it came to even just basic meetings, um, they didn't understand the idea that, well, from this time to this time, that's when I see my athletes so that I can do treatment rehab, make sure that they're ready for the next practice, the next game, you know, get through the week. Um, So like they had no idea that that was even a thing. Um, Then they just came to a point where the sports medicine portion split. So like the athletic trainers went off with the, the ortho and then physical therapy went off by itself. And they were like cutting each other off at the knees, so to speak. And it was like super weird. It's like, we're all in the same company. We're all here to do the same thing. Why are we, why are we having so many of these battles between sections in the same hospital? Like that, that sounds counterproductive to why we're all here. Um, and it was just like seeing that from the inside. And then after coming off of working for, you know, another company that mistreated its athletic trainers, started going the business route of treating patients like dollar signs. I was at the point where I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to work for any people that are like this. There's just no way. Like, I don't believe in it. I'm not a fan of it. I, I need to go and do the complete opposite of everything that's happening in the physical therapy, sports medicine, athletic training world right now. So while I was still working there, I would drive an hour to another location where I was, you know, trying to basically start effort. I'm just going from one place to the other. And I, I just, I was like, I don't care that I don't have enough saved up. I don't care that I, I'm not a hundred percent ready. I like, this is murdering my soul to work for a place like this. So I just jumped ship and started effort. Hmm. I'm trying to think of that. Uh, uh, what? Uh, sorry. There is a quote that I'm thinking of. And the first thing that popped into my mind is um, Mulan when they say the uh, the rarest flower of all is the one that blooms in adversity. But that's not the one I'm thinking of. That's just the silly Disney version. <laughs> oh, I've shoot. watched Milan about 15 times and I've never heard that quote. That's because you don't watch it to the end. You always turn it off too early. <laughs> it's right at the best. It's right before the best line of the whole movie where Milan says, do you want to stay for dinner? And her grandma says, do you want to stay do forever? Want to stay forever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. I love quotes. But anyway, yeah, I feel like you've had a lot of adverse situations that have also put you in very good situations afterwards. Yeah, I I think that adversity has definitely taught me a lot. I 
again, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you, you kind of have to, like, you're going to get kicked in the face a whole lot. But at the end of the day, it makes you tougher and makes you appreciate when those good things do happen. You know, it, it's literally just preparation for all the things that you want to do when it comes to, you know, helping people. Because at the end of the day, that's what we're here for. And yeah, if I hadn't had that adversity, I, I probably would have quit a long time ago. <laughs> so you probably didn't have a lot of, you know, business background just, you know, from all your science knowledge and things like that. Like they don't really teach you the, the business side of, of running things like, like effort um, in school. So what was the learning curve like for that kind of understanding just how the business of running, you know, a rehab you know, facility like you do, um, how hard was it to just kind of understand how everything goes? I mean, I'm still learning to this day. Like that, that learning curve is one of those things that you have to make that mistake and learn from it very quickly because again, the way I, I had no backers, I hadn't, I had no money, <laughs> you know, like if you don't learn very quickly, yeah, I, I wouldn't be on year seven. You know what I mean? I would have I would have folded a long time ago. So it's one of those things that as an entrepreneur, like you have to learn so many things super quick, you know, whether it's learning how to do, you know, some basics in coding to make a website, um, learning how to use, you know, Canva and all these other platforms just to do marketing. You know, you wind up being a graphic design major, you wind up being a marketer, you wind up having to learn skills like on the fly. Um, and you have to learn very quickly because it's going to cost you money. It's going to cost you opportunities. It's going to cost you your sanity to a certain standpoint. Um, and again, that, that was one of those things that in hindsight, there's still sometimes like it took me a while to learn those things. Um, and it's mostly because most athletic trainers, we just love helping people. <laughs> I think that's one thing we all have in common is that our athletes are some of our favorite people. <laughs> For sure. Um, and that doesn't necessarily always carry over in your business because people will take advantage of that super quick. Mm -hmm. um, and you kind of have to learn very fast. Otherwise you won't have the opportunity to help the people that you want to help out, which mm. is a terrible feeling. So yeah, you got, you got to have, you got to make it happen quick. I'm wondering, do you look at your, your patients versus your clients in a, a different light? Because like you said, like if you're, contracted to a high school or a college then your patients are just your patients you know they're not um in any way stakeholders in your income at the end of the day you know but then when you transition into a business model and being an entrepreneur do you have to kind of treat your patients more like clients and less like truly patients um i would say more no you don't have to but well yes because <laughs> there's 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 a little bit of give and take there um you know most of my most of my clients know that you know i'm here to help like i'm just here to bridge gaps 
and help them get to the next place. You know, I'm the kind of person I'll take off work to go to senior nights and, you know, most of the ones I'm close with, they'll invite me to graduation parties and, you know, those kinds of things. Like there's still a relationship that you're supposed to build and foster with people. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you also have to make sure that at the end of the day, you know, people aren't just canceling because go and watch Empire Diaries and binge watch you know, Stranger <laughs> Things. <laughs> if everyone did that, you wouldn't make any money. You still have to pay bills at the end of the day, but you can also still treat people like people, you know? Hmm. So are your patients that you're currently working with mostly um, like adolescent, high school age kids? Yeah, I would say the, the median age is from eighth grade to, um, you know, to junior in college. Right. Hmm. Okay. Are there any like, I don't know, powerhouse schools or anything in your area that, you know, there's a like the best soccer football team in the state or anything like that that you can kind of market yourself to? And but that's a whole other question. Um, when it comes to marketing, I'm, I'm more of a word of mouth guy. Mm-hmm. Like, I, um, I found it in my business because I do, you know, sports performance also. Um, what you run into is the people that don't know who you are. There's three types of those. One, you've got the, I'm trying to keep up with the Joneses. They'll see one of my athletes that have been with me for three, four years and see that they've gotten results and they're doing fantastic and so on and so forth. And think that they can come in for two or three weeks and all of a sudden, oh my goodness, I got 10 inches on my vertical. That's unrealistic. <laughs> so those people drop off super quick. Um, you have the people who are curious. You have people who are curious and then they're like, oh, wow, I have to keep doing this for me to get results. <laughs> and they drop off. You have that, that third special person that, that's a life. They see that you are genuinely trying to help them. They see that you're, they're not just a number. They see that you're not doing the cookie cutter stuff that most places are doing, just the fillers, and they buy in. And because they bought in, they get the rewards from buying in. So having billboards for me and commercials, it wouldn't bring me any new people. And more often than not, they probably wouldn't want to be accountable for the level of effort total pun intended um, <laughs> um, that they're going to have to put in, you know, weekly, daily, yearly to sustain the results that they want, especially if they're trying to be a, you know, a collegiate athlete. Yeah, I think, I mean, I kind of worked in your sector um, out of undergrad. Uh, there's like a, a sports performance facility around here that I actually still train at um, just to stay healthy. Um, it's, it's that connection right in the beginning and kind of explaining like, Hey, like we need to work on this, this, and this. And then when they take, when you take them through the exercise, it's like, okay, this is why we're doing this. Okay. This is what you're supposed to feel. It's it, like you kind of said, 
it's making that connection with your your client or your athlete and it kind of makes them like okay like one this guy knows what he's talking about and two he actually wants me he's making it relatable to what i need and that you know that transfer into sport yeah absolutely i and it's funny that you mentioned even the knowledgeable part people will care about you being knowledgeable second once they know that you're an advocate for them mm-hmm. that you're in for their sure. corner yeah and, and i've noticed that a hundred percent yeah just get to know them as a person you know really just kind of like oh hey like how's your day i always ask the question like what did you learn in school today and literally one not one kid can be like oh yeah like in history i learned the battle of gettysburg was in july of 1863 like no one, no one, no one can tell me just a simple random fact. It's like, uh, I had a turkey sandwich for lunch, and it's like, <laughs> like you sit, you sat in school for eight hours, and you can't tell me one little fact that you learned. And they're like, no, not really. And I'm like, oh boy, we're we're in trouble. <laughs> oh, for sure. But yeah, it's just that it's that personal connection, and just kind of getting to know them, and then they kind of open up about who they are, and um, you know, just kind of talk to you more and, and get to know each other on a personal level, which is always nice. Hmm. Oh, yeah, I always for sure. like that's that's everything. Yeah, I always try to remember: no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Like if you can't express to anybody that you actually care, then why would they ever cultivate a relationship with you that's meaningful? That's just silly. Yeah, and that's one hundred percent accurate. There's people care more about the fact that someone does care. I mean, because. Think of it like this. You got these athletes who quite literally in some way, shape or form, everyone wants something from them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the coaches are trying to get a W out of them. Some coaches are trying to just get the clout that I trained a D1 athlete or this athlete is going somewhere and I had a mm-hmm. role to play in it. You got parents, you know, unfortunately that are trying to live vicariously through them. You have parents who... Their identity is wrapped up being and being, I want to be a D1 mom or dad. Mm-hmm. So knowing that somebody just, somebody is totally actually for them. That's not out to get something is, is huge there. And I think that's why, you know, a lot of athletic trainers have that relationship with their, with their athletes is because they genuinely can tell that, yeah, this person is, is actually for me. When I talk, I'm actually heard, you know, those kinds of things. And it builds such a a better relationship than go win me a game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, uh, like, just what's a typical day, like, look for you? I know you said your clientele is mainly, you know, middle school through high school and, and some college. Um, so that's obviously has some time constraints to it. So what does it just kind of look like on a day-to-day basis? <laughs> Um, a day-to-day basis, that's, uh, that's the one thing about being an entrepreneur is that it can look like anything. Quite literally, it can look like anything. Um, like I could wake up to absolutely no text messages or missed calls. Another day I could wake up and I have, you know, five, 10 missed calls, you know, Etc. Somebody needs something. There's a fire that needs to be put out. You know, in some capacity. Um, that's how usually a day starts. Let's see what fires need to be put out, what don't. 
cool. <laughs> From that point, it's, it's just a matter of, okay, um, what does my schedule look like? Where do I need to put people? What is their plan for the day? Kind of just strategizing how their treatment or their training is going to look. Um, and, you know, getting myself ready for the day, you know, whether it's mentally, physically, you know, emotionally, all that good stuff. And then start the day. Once I'm there, again, it depends on what kind of clients I have. You know, um, you never know what you're going to walk into, which is the interesting thing about being a, you know, a small business entrepreneur. Your first person might be like, you know, at practice last night, this happened. So now that whole plan that I might have had in my head just went out the window. Um, parent might come in and be like, this happened and so-and-so. So maybe we have to sit down and talk to a parent and an athlete. You might have a kid come in sobbing. You have no idea what's going on. And you might have to take them in another room and sit and talk with them and see what is going on that their world just ended. <laughs> you know, um, smooth day, it's just treatment and training. But it's not always the case, you know, when it comes to being an entrepreneur, a small business person, and and again, someone who's part of the community and part of life in some capacity. So it's it's kind of a, a coin toss. Hmm. That sounds like my worst nightmare. <laughs> yeah, if you. If- if you if you knew Liz, if she could map out every hour of every day, she would do it. I would, and it would be color coded. <laughs> you know, I think the, uh, I think the s- neurodivergent part of my brain kind of thrives on that kind of pressure. So mm-hmm. I wish I could totally have have that color coded kind of mindset. But the uh, undiagnosed ADHD part of my brain is like, no, let's let's just let's wing it. Let's see what happens. That's me right there. Let's just fly by the let's fly by the seat of my pants and see what happens. <laughs> yep. I feel like both really thrive in athletic training though, because uh, you gotta be able to roll with whatever fifteen unexpected punches you have that day. But the better you can organize, the better you can plan, the also more successful you can be. So, really, I feel like you know either can set you up for success. Oh, for sure. Like I said, you, I can go in with a plan for my day and it, it might not turn out that way, but at least I have or plan and I can just kind of make some wiggle room in a lot and shift things around to still fit the general plan. So yeah, both sides can totally still work. You know, like mm-hmm. I said, as an athletic trainer, we're masters of, of dealing with chaos. <laughs> so it, it just kind of comes with the territory. Did you find it hard to kind of develop that ability to to rearrange your day on a moment's notice? Or was that something you felt really comfortable with from the beginning? I honestly feel like being involved with, um, let me backtrack. I feel like everything that I've experienced in the past, you know, 15 years has had some level of preparation. Like, little chunks of pieces here, there, and et cetera, has prepared me to be able to handle an average day, an average week kind of a thing. I mean, 
the minor league baseball world is is crazy in and of itself. It's a 12 to 14 hour day. You have to make sure people can play no matter what because their paycheck, their their career depends on on you. Um, you might have have a road trip where you're going to be doing treatment on a bus <laughs> where you are, you know, you just finished a 12 hour day, but now you're about to sit on a bus for eight to 16 hours. And then when you get there, you might be able to take a nap. You're doing treatment in the hotel. When you get to the field, you never know what the field might be like. You might actually have a, you know, an actual athletic training room. You might have a broom closet. You might be set up in the shower. <laughs> so, Been there before. Yeah, moments like that. I mean, if I can do that, all while at the same time I was doing my, my master's online. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> trying to, you know, break into press boxes and submit some work before my day started. Yeah, I I think moments like that totally prepared me for just the random chaos that can happen in a day of being an entrepreneur. So what's it, is it, I know you're kind of getting pulled in 15, 20 different directions during the day. You know, do you still find time like for yourself? You know, I know athletic training is big on, you know, mental health and work-life balance and things like that. So what do you do to kind of make sure you find time for yourself and kind of make sure you don't burn yourself out too quickly? You know, that's something that since I've had ever, this is going to be the seventh year of effort. It's taken me up until about a year ago to really start to actually take care of me. Um, it's It's been a learning process. Um, I was, I'm admittedly, I was that guy that in 15 years, I can honestly say that I probably have only taken maybe 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 five vacations you know like i i don't get sick knock on wood um so i never had sick days like hmm. i never got sick in high school i was had perfect attendance from fifth grade all the way up through you know etc so like i never had a sick day when i was an athletic trainer um so i've had to learn that it's hard slash impossible to help other people if I don't take care of myself. It's hard to pour from an empty cup. So I've had to have some hard life lessons because people will take advantage of your time. Like people will schedule at nine o'clock at night, you know, and you don't get home till it's 11. Um, people will totally like use you up. Not necessarily like in a, you know, malicious way, but they have their goals, they have their things that they want to do. And it's something that I've learned over the years is setting boundaries. Um, being able to set those boundaries of no, like, unless it's an emergency, like as far as like, whatever, like, don't text me after this time. And if you do, I may or may not get back to you. Sometimes I might have to treat texts like uh, emails. I'll get back to you in 48 hours. Mm. Um, so, you know, just setting just boundaries of, of when, where, why, when it comes to scheduling, 
because I used to work on Sundays. I used to work seven days a week when I started effort. <laughs> um, so, you know, setting boundaries with days, times during the summer, I've been taking Saturdays off, which is, you know, everyone who knows me is like, that's like a crazy thing for me to do, you know? Um, so for myself, even I need to make sure that, you know, I take time for myself, whether it's playing video games or doing something that I enjoy or going and watching a movie or just literally doing absolutely nothing. <laughs> um, and just, you know, something that my girlfriend has played a huge role in just kind of teaching me how to make sure that I keep my cup full because like you said, as athletic trainers, we have a tendency to just give, 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 give. And people will take, take, take real quickly. And again, not necessarily in a malicious way, but if you're giving, <laughs> someone will gladly say, okay, if you say so. If you, if you give an inch, they'll take a mile. Oh, for sure. For sure. Do you feel like it was harder to learn to enforce those boundaries um, as your own business owner and your own manager versus the way you were managing your boundaries while you were working for other people and other teams? I mean, with other teams, I don't think I had boundaries. That was a problem. I never learned those work boundaries. Like, because I spent six years in minor league sports, you know, like, you're there all day, every day. Like, the typical day for me was noon to midnight, sometimes even one o'clock. And that's on a day where we're at home. Say we leave on a bus trip, I'd be there from noon. And then after the game was done at 11, 12, whatever, we're hopping on the bus. I might have to work on somebody's elbow, knee, shoulder, you know, on the bus. The sleep that I'm getting is going to be that 16-hour bus trip that eight-hour bus trip, you know, I'm going to sleep on a bus, maybe take a short nap in the hotel and get right back to it because there's such a high pressure for these guys to compete because they'll lose a job very quickly. And as we all know, the first two people to get fired when it comes to professional sports is strength coach or an athletic trainer. And in a lot of cases, I was both. <laughs> so I got I would get double fired, you know what I mean? So, yeah, I, I never learned those boundaries um, initially. I spent so much time just on the go. Um, I'm ready to go. Let's make sure that you're good to go. But I never made sure I was good to go. And I had to learn that. And it took time. Like I said, it took me five plus years of especially starting effort that yeah, I got to establish those boundaries because I'm important. I have worth. I have value. My time is precious. You know, I, I love the the idea of just because I have time doesn't make me available. Hmm. And it's something Very that true. I had to learn that. <laughs> I had to learn that. Yeah. Like, like I said, the hard way, you know. Yeah. In hindsight, do you feel like you could have enforced those boundaries in the in the minor league setting, or do you feel like 
major and minor league sports, it's just kind of the nature of the beast that those boundaries aren't necessarily an option. Um, I think for me, I wasn't built like that at the time. Because you have athletic trainers that are sometimes in these minor leagues, you know, especially in independent ball. Like, it's super easy to kind of fly under the radar. Like, stretch some people, ice some people, sit and watch some baseball all day long. You can get away with that 110%. But I was, I was never built like that. Like, I would get there, pitchers would get their treatment. As they warmed up, I would do yoga with the pitchers. <laughs> After I did yoga with the pitchers, position guys would come in get them ready for batting practice. Once they were ready for batting practice, I would go out there and walk them through their warm-ups. Starting pitcher, whoever, you know, needed whatever during BP, we're going to work on you during BP. Once you're done, okay, I'm going to watch BP, make sure nothing crazy happens because had a lot of dumb injuries during BP. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> once BP was over, you know, I might grab something to eat if I even remember to eat. <laughs> And then I would make sure everyone was ready for the game. Once everyone was ready for the game, I would make sure that all my equipment was down there. Everything was good. Da -da -da. Game time. Game time. Game's over. All right. Now I got to make sure that anybody who needs something before they go home tonight, they're good. So there might be three or four guys that still need treatment afterwards. By the time I'm done with that, it could be 12 to 1 o'clock at night or in the morning rather, that was a typical day. Like that was six months out of the year consistently. Then I would go take probably, you know, two weeks off. I never got those two weeks off because I worked for a company and sometimes I would go stand in at a high school or a college or something along those lines for those two weeks. Um, but in, in my mind, I didn't mind. Because I went from 70, 80-hour weeks to, you know, 15, 20. So it didn't seem like much. But I never took that time off. And then I would go right into hockey season. Hockey would practice in the morning. And then because I'm, I was crazy back then, <laughs> I, picked up, I picked up some side work. And I would work um, a minor league basketball team. So I'd have minor league hockey in the morning and minor league basketball at night. And... When one of those seasons was over, I picked up, sometimes I'll pick up some side work during the middle, like interim. I, I did some industrial athletic training. I would go and do stuff at four o'clock in the morning at Frito-Lay. <laughs> you know, I was never built like, like at the time to just kind of sit still. Mm. And again, that was super unhealthy. That was not a good work life balance. I do not endorse that one bit. Am I appreciative of all the things I learned because of all those experiences? Sure. You ask me to do that right now, I would tell you you're crazy. <laughs> yeah. I think that's big for young athletic trainers, like kind of like Liz and myself, since we're pretty fresh graduates, almost two years come May. Um, just trying to set boundaries for our profession because when you're in, you know, when you're in your program, you have clinicals and you're expected to be there as much as you can and, you know, stay there as long as you can and all that stuff. And you kind of, 
you can say no, but it's not. It's kind of frowned upon in certain settings, depending where you are. Um, then you're a professional, and you kind of get to not set your own hours, but it's like, hey, like I have this going on, or I have that going on, and you just kind of have to find that balance of, you know, being able to be professional and talk to your boss, or talk to your coworkers, be like, hey, like I'm not gonna be here. I need this covered, and, and kind of figure it out that way. Yeah, I mean, I wish it was set up like. I definitely wish that things were set up more like that, where there was more like relief for athletic trainers. And again, like I was the relief for the company that I used to work for <laughs> when someone was out sick or someone was gone. Like I was the first person usually they got called and I never said no, never again. There are times I definitely should have, like, I don't need the hours. Like, I worked enough in six months to last me an entire year. Like, I should be able to just chill for the rest of the year. But I didn't, you know? I wonder that a lot, that um, there's more and more push for work-life balance and, and advocating for yourself to have time off and boundaries and things. But I feel like some of these sports settings are not structured to have that opportunity to people like a minor league baseball team, a minor league hockey team is not going to pay for more than one athletic trainer. So when that person is gone, like you said, like who's going to be the one to cover them. And in, in my experience, there's always one person that covers other people's stuff and everybody else conveniently goes MIA when that email or that text goes out that says like, Hey, we need X, Y, and Z covered. And I just, I don't know, I don't know what it is. I just feel really skeptical that uh, enforcing that idea of work-life balance is going to happen for for all athletic trainers. No, I think that you'd have to change the entire structure of how we, we do things, honestly. Like, you would have to change everything about the high school setting, the college setting, especially the professional setting, like you mentioned. There's no backup. It's even harder to have a backup. Oh, yeah. You also have the fact that baseball players are highly superstitious. <laughs> so <laughs> even if you did have someone there, they'd be standing in the corner basically just hanging out because most of those guys probably wouldn't trust them with their arm. That's their, that's their money maker. <laughs> I'll say no one would touch them with a 10-foot pole, not on game day. No, and not only that, but then you have them. You also mentioned, like, some of these minor league teams, they have a contract with, you know, whatever big company or whatever companies in the area. They're barely they're barely paying for one athletic trainer. Let, let's just get that out of the way. They're not even paying that one athletic trainer enough for the sheer amount of work or anything that they're doing. So they're definitely not going to pay for two. Like, they need to pay the first one enough. I mean, it's, it's it's a fine line of, like, what we kind of signed up for, but also, like, you have to understand, like, we also have lives outside of the job, too. So um, just trying to make that kind of balance work, I think it would be in a better place. For sure. I think that – I guess I'll put it like this. Like, that work-life balance can totally happen for the, for the professional athletic trainer, like I said, minor league athletic trainer, whatever. If, like I said – they work almost 80 hour day, 80 hour weeks for six months. 
I think that that's if you divide that up, then let them have half the year off. <laughs> really? Right. Right. Yeah. Balances itself out. Yeah, it, it would balance itself out perfectly. There's there's no other reason why it couldn't pay them their yearly salary in that six months and let them do what they choose to do after that. Why not? That's one way I feel like that could be work-life balance, but that's just me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess my thought with that is also once you get to the – you know, I'm going to take that back. It's not even one to get to the higher levels of sport. Like these flipping, uh, like you 16 teams are practicing year round. So then it's like, even in theory, when you have a, a team that's in season, quote unquote, for six months, the other six months of the year, they're still practicing at like 75% of the time that they were in season. They're just calling it optional. Or it's off-season workouts. And so, really, your athletic trainer is still there just as much. <laughs> I mean, that's a whole other conversation when you talk about youth sports and travel sports. Because I know, like, around here, sports medicine is non-existent in there. Like, these kids are specialized so early, it's impossible to have someone there because they don't want them there. <laughs> Plain and simple. <laughs> Yeah. They don't. They don't, because they could totally afford it. They already pay enough. If you literally added probably five dollars, probably at the bare minimum five dollars to what every kid is paying, you could totally pay an athletic trainer a easily. really good salary yeah. and be there easily. But the issue is you're not going to get that because you're going to get <laughs> travel sports dad up in arms. Because now you have someone there that's telling their kid that they, they're not allowed to pitch 150 mm -hmm. pitches or they have an injury they need to sit out. Like, I've seen some of the most ridiculous responses from parents when it comes to trying to get someone to sit out when it comes to travel sports. It's, it's such a toxic environment. So there's mm -hmm. no way you're going to get sports medicine involved with that on a full-time basis. Because that work-life balance would be even worse, probably. Mm. I'm convinced they need to teach athletic trainers conflict management uh, or, like, conflict resolution skills in school. Because I feel like that's 90% of our job of, like, trying to talk down a coach or a parent or a administrator that does not want to accept that what you're telling them is true. And it's just because they disagree with it doesn't mean it goes away. Like... Ugh, I wish I could take a poll of how much of our time is diffusing <laughs> arguments with other people. <laughs> I, I'd be wagering like it's a pretty hefty amount. It's definitely 60 to 70 percent of our time is putting out fires that coaches or parents or whomever does not want to deal with the consequences of, hey, your kid has a concussion. Here are the options. And then you have parents that will tell you, all kinds of things or you got coaches that don't want to listen and then you have to have you have to have someone advocate for you which is hard because it's very rare that you know your team doc's going to step in or let's just say the company that you work for if you work for a company they're not going to come step in and support you we don't really have many advocates if we're going to be point blank honest yeah 
And that's bullshit. Part of my language. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's justified. Yeah. So, Audric, I do want to ask you. You have one million letters after your name. (laughs) For everybody listening, we've got... I just just scroll down like twice to get through all the certifications. (laughs) Yes. The ones I have here are the MS, the ATC, CAFS, AMNP, CES, PES, CPT. Do you have a personal favorite of all your letters? <laughs> um, a personal favorite. Uh, I mean, I am a diehard like advocate for athletic trainers. I am like I'm gonna have to. As corny and cheesy as that is, the ATC means a whole lot. Mm. Like, it, it means it means the most, honestly, because one, I had professors in college that constantly advocated for me and kicked me in the butt. Like I was, I was that kid that I was smart, but I didn't apply myself. Like. I was super lazy. I was super not driven. <laughs> and thankfully, I went to that small school. Thankfully, I went to that small school where if I was running late, guess what? I would get a phone call. Audric, where are you? If I went anywhere else, I guarantee you, they would just kick me out. So... Like, I'm super thankful. Shout out to, you know, Kathleen Westfall, Cindy Studrawa, and, you know, Kevin Tong, my, you know, my professors over at Defiance College. I would not be an athletic trainer right now if it was not for them. So, like, that ATC means a lot because of people like that. Not to mention all the amazing connections that I've made over the years, you know, guys from the baseball organizations that I've been a part of. Um, all of those things made effort possible, you know? So you could take away <laughs> any of those and they wouldn't amount to, you know, what the ATC part actually is in hindsight. That made my it, heart all warm and fuzzy. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it like it? It takes a village to raise someone. It's kind of like one of those mm-hmm. deals. You have a, you meet a lot of people along the way, and they give you just a little piece of advice here and there, and you know they ended up really impacting your life. I actually had a professor like that too, Audric, and uh, Dr. O'Connor. She taught all the chemistry classes in our at our school, and I overslept one night. I I think I had uh, organic chemistry at ten, and I woke up. It was like quarter after ten, and I look at my phone and it's ringing, and I answer it. And I'm like, hello. And she's like, Dan, it's Dr. O'Connor. How are you? And I'm like, uh, I'm late. How about you? <laughs> and she's like, oh, well, uh, I'll see you in class in about five minutes. I'm like, yep, I'll be there. So I like stumbled over. But kind of like what you said, just going back to like, you know, if I was at a bigger school, they'd be like, oh, Dan's not like one. They wouldn't even recognize I wasn't there. But, um, you know, it's that connection that you're saying that, um, you know, they want you to get better. They, you know, they kind of push you when they need it. And, you know, they they hold you accountable for, you know, getting coming to class and things like that. Oh yeah. That those, those are the connections that, you know, it, those are the connections that make you who you are because at the end of the day, like 
you share that connection with another person. Like it's a string that gets tethered to you that you tether to another person that hopefully gets tethered to a whole other person. Like you just keep, you know, paying it forward, so to speak, you know, like, like I said, I, I a hundred percent know for a fact, if it wasn't for, you know, those three professors, if I was at any other school, I would have, I would have been gone. I would have kicked out. They wouldn't even recognize that I wasn't even there, you know, but they did. They stuck their necks out for me. They were patient with me. And yeah, like they're the reason that I was able to graduate. They were the reason I was able to eventually pass my, you know, my boards. Um, and yeah, like in, in a small way, like I said, every person you run into, you, you learn something, you try to pour that into another person. It's just about, like, so you plant those seeds and hopefully they grow and, you know, they do the same for another person. It doesn't really matter how many times you take the boards, as long as it says you're board certified and licensed athletic trainer in whatever state you're practicing in. So mm -hmm. that's all that matters. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I recognize that. And again, I told you, the story that I just told you, it, it had to happen that way. There was too many coincidences and circumstances that if I told you the full story from start to end, yeah, it all makes sense in hindsight. All those, mm -hmm. those little things amount to something larger, but you're not able to see it right away. I'm just trying to, I've, I've heard all the stories about your schedules and things like that. And then I'm just kind of thinking to myself, like, how the heck does this dude have time to sit down and study for these certifications? Like, you know, <laughs> like, I know, I know some of those, like, I know the CSCS is pretty tough. Like, you have to sit down and study that text. So, I mean, good for you to find some time to get all these certs. But I was rather impressed when I first uh, looked it up. Well, I mean, here's the, I think here's the interesting thing when you do your own thing as an entrepreneur, you know, especially as an athletic trainer, especially the way that I do it, it's like, I actually, in some ways, work less because I am my own boss. Like, I work technically like the way that my schedule is set up. Like, I actually work part-time. <laughs> I actually work part-time when I'm there. But because of all the things I do outside of effort, it's still a full-time thing. But because of all those things, like I said, all the things that I've learned, all those other things, like having your own business affords you the ability to have more time to do the things that you want to do when you do it the right way, you know? So to answer your question, sometimes when it comes to getting all those, and it's funny because I'm actually working on a couple other ones. <laughs> <laughs> I, I One of my friends made fun of me. She says that I'm a... I'm a certification whore, which kind of, <laughs> you know, yeah. I kind of, I kind of do want a bajillion letters after my name, but, um, it's one of those things like you just kind of chip away at it. Like there's 365 days in a year. Even if I spent 30 minutes working on, you know, something realistically, if I spent 30 days every day, I could probably have like two or three certifications a year. But I'm not that much of a certification here. <laughs> <laughs> one, one a year, one every other year. 
All right. Dan, do you want to ask our uh, our standard question? Yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll kind of blend it with a question that I have. Um, you know, what's oh. something that you know now that you wish you knew when you first started effort? Um, and then just overall, what advice do you have for young athletic trainers, um, athletic trainers, just listen to it, you know, about our profession or, you know, about starting a business, kind of being an entrepreneur. So kind of a double-edged question, but try to blend it all together. So I can only pick one thing that I, I wish that I knew. Yeah, sure. Let's keep it short, short and sweet. <laughs> okay. My worth. Plain and simple. Mm, that's a good one. Um, there's that fine line of having hubris and humility, right? Like being able to know, like, yes, I am good at what I do. I'm really good at what I do, but also human, humil, ha, <laughs> humble enough <laughs> as I stumble over my words, um, humble enough to know that I am fallible, that I can be wrong that I can learn more and that I don't know everything. That's a great one for me, for young and upcoming athletic trainers. Um, man, I think the biggest thing that it's almost the same thing. It's know your worth. Like don't accept these jobs. They're going to pay you $32,000 <laughs> when you are way more worth than that. Don't work these crazy hours because, again, just because you're, you're available doesn't mean you have time. Like, your time is valuable. It's worth a whole lot. You don't get that back. That's the one currency that doesn't come back. Um, and I think the last is just don't be afraid to fall on your face. Like, when it comes to business, especially if, like, they want to be an entrepreneur, you literally have to dive face forward into everything. If you don't dive 100% in and you dip your toes in, there's no way you can be successful. There's no way to know if you were going to succeed or fail because you didn't put it all the way in. You didn't, you didn't give your all. There's no way. And if you didn't give your all at it, again, if you have that servant leadership mindset, you weren't really trying to help people at the end. You were too scared to help people enough to put yourself out there and you're never going to help those extra 20, 30, 40, 50, hundred people down the line that you could have helped because you didn't put it all the way in. Hmm. So yeah, know your worth. Don't be afraid to fall flat on your face. I like I it. I think that all, it all blended well together. Yeah. yeah. So those two questions did go hand in hand with your answer. So the blend feels like a good move. Yeah. It was a, it was a good move. Thanks. <laughs> all right, Audrey. Before we let you go, we're gonna finish up with something a little simple. Uh, this or that. All right. So here you go. First one: upper body or lower body rehab. Upper body. Ooh, I'm lower body. I'm baseball guy. Come on. <laughs> uh, Nike or Under Armour. Under Armour. Oh, Not a Nike fan. All my athletes know that. Under <laughs> uh, energy drink or coffee? Fun fact: I've never had either. Wow! Oh, how are really? you not have coffee? 
How did you work 80 hours a week without a caffeine stimulant of some kind? That is called severe undiagnosed ADHD thriving on the pure <laughs> dopamine of helping people. Just give me some dopamine from all the things I'm doing. That was it. Mm-hmm. That's a hell of a drug. Yeah, for sure. Probably gotta be <laughs> able to do that. Uh, okay, since so you're a performance guy, front squat or back squat? Back squat. Ooh. That's an easy one. Back squat. Yeah. Mm, I was expecting a front squat answer. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I that mean, it's too quad. It's too quad dominant for me. Mm. Just, it's too quad dominant. That's just again, my again, opinion. Again, going back to our professor, Doctor Trish. It depends. <laughs> so, so whatever, whatever you're trying to work on, it just depends. It just so, depends. Yes, I, I see a very good. Yeah, I'm a big, you're right. big back back squat guy too. So I'm glad we agree on that one. Uh, okay, last one. I, I kind of just threw this one out there since you said you're a video game guy. PlayStation or Xbox? I own a PS5. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so then you're a, you're a but I actually, guy. Honestly, I was a Nintendo guy for a long time, though. I just got converted. I was a Nintendo guy for a really long time. Nice. All right. Go-to game on PS5. I'm still trying to finish The Last of Us 2. Oh, I'm I'm a story. I love stories. It's one of those games that has a great story, but also scares the crap out of me. So I got to play it during the day. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I'm not I'm not a video game person, but my boyfriend played Last of Us and Last of Us 2 and deeply traumatizing. I got to say, I don't know how that's enjoyable. <laughs> it is. And they're making a show about it, too. So we're going to watch it and get traumatized all over again just all over again repeating the cycle for fun <laughs> yep i don't know why i do it to myself well you're you're in good company with so many people <laughs> good good to know we're we're sharing the boat on trauma yes exactly we can all relate to each other's trauma in this this regard yeah, absolutely <laughs> all right audrick well thanks for coming on and chatting with us absolutely i really appreciate coming on it was it was fun yeah definitely i enjoyed having you definitely dropped some good uh some good tidbits of knowledge about you know adversity and and knowing your worth and things like that so hopefully uh someone catches on to it when they listen yeah hope so it was a really good time all right everyone audrick warren the self-proclaimed not certification whore (laughs) (laughs) oh man thanks again audrick All right, you guys take care. You as well. See you there. And as always, remember who you are. And make good choices.